Before we start, I just have to come back to this handout again. The title on it, Servants Are Priceless, and that is so true. And uh, I'm glad once a year we have a special day to honor all those who serve here because this church couldn't function and all the good things that we get to enjoy on Sunday morning wouldn't happen and lives wouldn't be changed if there weren't people serving. And it is very important to recognize and say thank you to all of you um, and the different ways that you're serving and thank you for that. And um, I can't stop being the preacher and also say if your name's not in here, uh, there, we can solve that. Um, there's plenty of ways for you to serve. You can see all these different ministry areas and one of those may resonate with you. And you say, hey, I think that would be interesting. I could help with that. And that connections card that you still have, you could write right on there your name and your email and say, I'd like to help with whatever. Um, part of this is not just because it helps us. Jesus had a very basic teaching that said it's in serving that we find out what life is all about. And we become most like him as we become a servant and serve others. And we want to help that happen for you. So I just wanted to draw your attention to that. Okay. Um, one of the techniques you hear interviewers use a lot, they'll ask a question, and one of the questions you hear a lot is, if you could have uh, lunch with somebody out of history, who would you have lunch with? Who would you sit and talk with? Um, I don't know if you ever thought about that, but who would you pick? If you could have somebody out of history and you could spend an hour at a caribou with them, having a cup of coffee and sort of talking and asking them questions, who would you pick? Part of, the, part of the thought behind that is not just because there's interesting people, but those people who've lived life and, and lived through moments in history, they have a lot to teach us in what they experienced, in what they saw, what they learned, sometimes in the mistakes they've made, and what they did after those mistakes. There is a lot we can learn from people in history. That's why there's this old saying, Maybe. No. He who does not learn from history is doomed to repeat it. I want us to meet somebody today from history. He's somebody you all know, but maybe not really know. If I had you to pick one of the disciples, what would be the first disciple that would come to mind? Well, this disciple we're going to meet today is probably would be the most often mentioned name. Who do you think that would be? Peter. It would be Peter or Paul. For the sake of today's sermon, it's going to be Peter. <laughs> and we would often, a lot of us were raised to call him Saint Peter. Well, that's a true statement, but at the same time, I think it's unfortunate. And here's why. As soon as we call somebody a saint, or we say Saint Peter or Saint Paul, we almost start to get this picture of somebody who's sort of special. They're different. They're not like us. And the problem with that is it's hard to relate to somebody who's not like us. And while Peter was a saint, I want you to see today that Peter is a very ordinary guy that all of us can relate to. 
He made mistakes. He did all kinds of things. He led a life that all of us would say, oh, I, yeah, I understand that. And what I want you to see is he understands your life. And I want you to see the kind of people God uses. Because sometimes the people God uses aren't what we picture as saints. But they're ordinary people like every one of us. Well, to, be, to go back to the beginning with Peter, maybe I don't have this on. Ah. Maybe to go back to Peter, to begin with, he was a guy who liked to fish. Relate, Minnesota? Okay. Some of you. No, Peter was more than just a sport fisherman who liked to go out and catch a walleye. He was a commercial fisherman. On the Sea of Galilee, probably similar to Malax, and they had a large commercial fishing business on that sea. And Peter grew up doing that. That was his life. He's from Bethsaida. And I looked on a map getting ready for this sermon. And if you look at Bethsaida, it's in the upper east corner of Galilee, right where the delta comes in from the river that feeds the Sea of Galilee. Now, I know enough about fishing to know that if you're going to catch fish, probably where a river flows into the lake is a pretty good place to fish. Because that's where they come feeding, and that's exactly where Peter lived. And when we meet Peter, he was running the commercial business fishing business that he'd gotten from his dad. He'd grown up fishing. His dad was named John or Jonah. I think that's a little ironic. Hebrew, it's the same name. And he and his brother Andrew had learned to fish growing up. I'm sure at a very young age they were out helping dad with the fish. And clean the fish and sell the fish and mend the nets and work the boat. And now the business had grown to such they had partners. James and John. Their dad was Zebedee. I suspect Zebedee and Jonah had fished together and now their sons were fishing with them. But I want you to think about that for a minute. Peter didn't start out as some pastor, as some theologian, as some saint. I think if you met Peter today, you would see somebody who was very brown, who had very rough hands, who was a guy who spent most of his life in the sun and a lot of his life out on the water. And not just sitting there relaxing, but working very hard. And he was running his own business. If he didn't work, nobody ate. Some of you will relate to that. There's no guaranteed paycheck. You've got to go out and fish. And that's exactly how Peter grew up. And yet we know Peter was interested in God. But he was no scholar. I don't think till way later in his life he ever taught a Sunday school class in the synagogue. He never gave a devotion. Later, when he was in Jerusalem, the religious leaders didn't even want to listen to him because they knew, they said, he's clearly uneducated about the Bible. Peter. Now, did he go to church? Sure he did. He went to the synagogue. I'm confident his family had prayer at home. 
It's not that he didn't care about all that, but that wasn't the center of his life. He was a fisherman. And like some of you know with your own business, there's not much time for church and all that other stuff when you're running your own business. And that's where Peter was. But that doesn't mean he wasn't interested in God. We hear the story in John 1. I've got the reference in the notes. A couple disciples are following John the Baptist. Not Peter, but one of them is Andrew. Jesus comes along. John the Baptist says, this is the guy. This is the Messiah. Andrew and the other disciples say, we're following him. And so they go with Jesus, spend the day with Jesus. They become convinced John was right. This is not just your average itinerant rabbi we want to hear. This is the Messiah. What is the first thing Andrew does? Runs to get his brother, who's probably back running the fishing business. Says, Peter, you got to come see this guy. Now, at the very end, so, so Peter comes. He's interested enough about God. He, he goes with Andrew. And as he walks up to Jesus, this is what I want you to catch. Jesus looked at Simon as he's coming. His name was Simon at that point. Jesus looks at Simon walking up with Andrew and says, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter, which means the rock. Now, wouldn't that be a little eerie for you? You walk up to this guy, you've been told he's the Messiah. You walk up, he says, I know your name. Your name's Simon, but not anymore. Your name's going to be the rock. Whoa. What's that mean? And especially in, in ancient times, the name was a big deal. We don't even know what most of our names mean. They did then. And they paid great attention to it. And for, Peter, for Jesus to say, I'm giving you a new name today, and it's Peter, because you're going to be a rock. I'm sure Peter never forgot that. God, Jesus knew some plans for him. And so he calls Peter to be a new kind of fisherman. You know the story in Mark 1. It's in, I think, all the Gospels. These guys are back fishing. Peter's met him. He's interested. He's wondering. But then Jesus comes walking by, and they're on the shore casting their nets out. And he says, come follow me. I want to teach you to fish for people. And it says, at once they left their nets. And they did. They followed. Peter was a strong personality. I tend to think of those four guys who ran the fishing business. I tend to think I know who called the shots. And I think it was Peter. What are we going to do today? Everybody looked at Peter, the other three guys. And he said, this is what we're going to do today. And I was thinking about that, and those of you I know who run your own business, that's sort of what you got to do when you're running your own business. You can't sit around too long because there's nobody else who's going to make the decision. you got to say, this is it. This is what we're going to do. We're not going to buy that anymore. We're going to go over here. We're going to start that. we got to quit doing that. We're going to go here today. And that's who Peter was. A strong personality. Unfortunately, at times it got him in trouble. 
And that's part of the thing I want you to see about Peter today is he was not a perfect person. And that's why I said sometimes I think we get a wrong image when we call somebody a saint. Peter was not perfect. He made all kinds of mistakes. One of the first times we see it, in, in Matthew 16, we, we hear of this story that's happening. And in Matthew 16, Jesus is saying, I need to give you guys a heads up. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to arrest me, and they're actually going to kill me, and I'm going to come back to, the, to life again. And they're like, what? But Peter doesn't just sit there and scratch his head. He stands up and says, no, it ain't happening. This isn't, you're not going to do that to Jesus. One of Peter's problems was he was a little bit too much of a man of action. And he thought after he talked, after he acted. And he gets one of the sternest rebukes Jesus ever gave. Peter jumps in and tells Jesus what he's not going to do. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely the concerns of a human. Wow. Peter was trying to call the shots. Peter was trying to decide what should happen. And Jesus says, no, Peter, you don't get to do that. And in fact, when you talk like that, when you come from that perspective, you're helping Satan out. Stop it. You need to focus on what God's plans are. Not your agenda, not your plans. Peter was committed. He was a guy who, when he said something, he was going to do it. It just sometimes got him in trouble. In Matthew 26, as Jesus is in that final week, Jesus says, now bad things are going to happen and you guys are all going to run away and leave me, but I know that's going to happen, so don't panic. It's going to work out. And again, Peter stands up right away. Not me. I will never abandon you. I'll never run away from you. And of course, we know the story. Which is probably what Peter would call his greatest mistake. He was committed. I don't doubt that. Peter was that kind of guy. But we can be committed and we can still in the moment make really poor decisions, and really do really dumb things. And the night, the Thursday night, we call it Monday Thursday, the Thursday night of Holy Week, Peter made four mistakes. I thought I was going to say three. He made four mistakes. I think he would list all four. The first was he ran away. The guards came to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus, and Peter ran away like all the other herd of disciples. I'm sure he regretted that the rest of his life. And then Jesus had warned him when he, Peter had made this big pledge, I'll never leave you. Jesus said, in fact, you're going to deny me three times. And those were his other three mistakes. Because in three different situations that night, in Jerusalem, in the midst of the crowd, people spotted him and said, hey, you're a follower of Jesus. 
You're with the Nazarene, and three times, Peter vehemently, at one point, swearing an oath, vehemently says, I am not with Jesus. The very thing he had pledged to Jesus he would never do. Is Peter a perfect saint? Not even close. And he would be the one to argue the loudest if he were here today. I am no perfect saint. I ran away. I denied him. I got in his way. I tried to fight against his plans. Peter's the one who cuts off the guard's ear. That night in the, in the garden, and Jesus says, Peter, stop it. It's not about swords. Peter was not perfect. And I believe by the end of that evening, after Peter has denied Jesus three times, we find a man who is totally, finally broken. I doubt if he even wanted to look in a mirror. I have failed Jesus. I have failed him repeatedly. I am not worthy. I think if Peter said, I'm no sand, I'm no rock, I'm a teeny piece of sand, that's all I'm good for. Well, how did Jesus handle all of that? It's one of the things I want to learn and see in this. I want you to see today is not just the lesson from Peter. And how imperfect he was. But I also want you to see the lesson from Jesus. Because what does Jesus do in all of this? Well, over in John 21, there's a long story there. And I hope you read it. It's a beautiful story. But of course, Jesus is now, this is after Easter. He said to wait. The Holy Spirit's coming, but that hasn't happened yet. They're not real sure what to do. Peter clearly still has kept the commercial fishing business, and they're back fishing. And I'm not so sure this is an indication they've bailed on Jesus as an indication, we don't know what to do. And we've got to feed the family, so let's go fish. And while they're out fishing, they come back and they see somebody on the shore, and it's Jesus by a campfire. And they have a meal together and Jesus talks to them. But after the conversation around the campfire, and I believe this is what Peter dreaded. Jesus gets Peter alone. says, Peter, can we talk? Now remember what's fresh in Peter's mind. I denied him. I ran away. I denied him. I denied him. I don't think Peter wanted to make eye contact with Jesus. And then when Jesus says, Peter, uh, let's go over here and sit and talk. <laughs> it's like saying the principal walks by and says, oh, can we talk after school? It's like, oh, no, I'm busy. And what does Jesus say? If you read the story, Peter, do you love me? He doesn't say, are you committed to me? Can I trust you? He says, do you love me? And three times, and of course Peter says, of course I do. And I'm sure in Peter's mind he's thinking, even though I ran away, I do. Even though I denied you, I do. I don't think it's an accident. Peter denied him three times, and Jesus three times says, do you love me? Are you really committed to me? You see, I think 
Jesus is God. He knew whether Peter was committed or not. I think Jesus gave Peter a gift. He denied him three times. Jesus gave him three times to recommit himself to Jesus and to say it publicly. To Jesus' face, I am committed to you. You can count on me. And Jesus accepts Peter with his faults, with his um, act first, think later, all of his impulsiveness, all of his imperfections. Jesus isn't done with Peter. And Jesus isn't saying, oops, I guess I shouldn't have called you a rock. We don't see that. And that's part of what I want you to see today because I suspect most of us don't come through that door on Sunday morning feeling like Saint anybody. Most of us come through that door feeling like I blew it this week. I can't believe what I did or said or what happened or whatever. We come through that door feeling more like Peter. But what I want you to see is Jesus is a God who doesn't write you off when you mess up. That's the only kind of people he works with. Are people who've blown it, people who aren't perfect. He says, come on in, let's talk. Do you love me? He treats us just like he treated Peter. And he wasn't done with Peter. In fact, we know from the vantage point of history, his greatest uses of this flawed, imperfect apostle were just ready to start. Peter had been in training. We elders prayed for Rachel and said, training's over, school's over. Time to start. Well, that was what happened to Peter. He wasn't done with him. And as I put it here, the rock shows up. And if you look through the book of Acts until the second half when Paul, and it really shifts out of Israel, the leader of the apostles, when Jesus is gone, who keeps them together, who gives them direction, the rock, Peter. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, and the whole crowd is saying, what in the world's going on? And the detractors start trying to spread a rumor and says, ah, they've just all been out drinking. It is Peter who stands up and opens the doors of the kingdom as Jesus prophesied he would and said, let me tell you what's going on here. This isn't a bunch of drunk guys. It is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. In the new kingdom, God will send his spirit on all of his children, men and women, and they will prophesy. And they will have God's power and amazing things will happen. And that's what you're seeing today. And when Peter's done, 3,000 people accept Jesus. In the same city that had crucified him. Not even two months ago. And Peter starts showing up as the rock. We read of at least two accounts later in the book of Acts where Peter is arrested and thrown in prison. He is flogged, he's beaten, he's threatened. And we don't see any weakness, any denial, any running away. He stands and faces all the religious leaders and says, what do you think we should do? Listen to you or listen to God? We're going with God. Do what you want to us. 
And God miraculously frees them, and they go out. Peter goes out with the disciples, and they are praising God that they were privileged to suffer in the name of Jesus. And Peter powerfully leads the church forward. The rock shows up. But he's an imperfect rock. And his imperfections don't go away. And that's part of what I also want you to catch. Because St. Peter is not perfect. And we have a fascinating little, it's not even a full snapshot, it's just a glimpse. And if you read over in Galatians, in chapter 2, and I'm, I'm, I'm just summarizing this because of time today. But an interesting thing happens, and I want you to understand this. In the first century, the church had one number one controversy when the church was brand new. Do you have to become Jewish to be a Christian? Now, we don't really sit around and argue about that much. We may argue about the second coming and other things, but we don't argue about that. They did. And Peter had been a part of that argument, and he had been part of the camp that said, no, we can't require people to become Jewish. But if you read what Paul says in Galatians, because of peer pressure, because a bunch of people came up from Jerusalem and they were saying to Peter, what are you doing with Gentiles? Peter gave in. We can relate. We're Minnesotans. What will people think? Minnesota nice. Peter waffled and stopped spending time with the Gentiles because of what the followers of James from Jerusalem might say. And if you read there, Paul says, I had to call Peter out on the carpet in the middle of the assembly because he had changed his position and he was wrong. And we don't have any hint that Peter argued. He'd blown it again. He wasn't perfect. But he was somebody who loved God and who God used. There's two reasons I wanted to talk about Peter today. The first and main one is because I think we can learn from him. Because we can relate to him. He faced the struggles we faced. He's imperfect like we are. And yet God used him. God didn't write him off. And I hope you can hear that as a word of encouragement to you. You may focus and say, I have messed up. I denied him three times. I run away. You did. I'm not trying to hide that, but please know the Christ who died on the cross for you has grace towards you today. And he hasn't written you off. He wants you and wants to be in your life. But the second reason I wanted to look at Peter today is we're going to read a letter he wrote. This summer we're going to look at the letter he wrote. It's called 1 Peter. Because I think it's a timely book for us. It's a letter he wrote to Christians who weren't real popular. Probably happened in the early 60s, and by then everybody knew about Christianity, and a lot of people didn't like the Christians. It wasn't so much that there was physical persecution yet, although it's coming, but they're not popular. It's not popular to be a Christian. And the Christians were saying, what's going on? What do we do? And Peter writes to encourage them. 
I've entitled this sermon series, Down But Not Out. Because Peter wants them to see, I understand everybody out there may not love you, but you need to know who you are in Christ and what you have in God. And he wrote to encourage them as they faced opposition. And it just seemed like a timely book for us as our culture is increasingly at least non-Christian, if not anti-Christian. What do we do with that? How do we not get discouraged? Peter's going to tell us. This man who faced all kinds of failure and opposition, he'd lived it. And he said, let me tell you how I handled it. Let me tell you how you should handle it. But we're going to hear from a man named Peter. He was a saint, but he was also just like me and you. And he let Christ use him to be a rock. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Peter. That you're willing to use people like us. Who have busy lives. Running a business. Who make mistakes. Who do things and then regret it. Sometimes big things. And yet. You love us, you want us, you use us, and even in the face of whatever struggles, opposition we have, you give us hope. I pray you would burn that message into our hearts this summer. As we look at the letter Peter wrote, may his life be an encouragement to us. In your son's name, amen.